Welcome to Grandma Magic, a podcast from the Grandmother Collective. We are a nonprofit organization that supports and advocates for a world where a grandmother's power is seen, cultivated, and activated for positive change. The Grandma Magic podcast is an opportunity to learn more about the unique positions that grandmothers, aunties, and other older women around the world can play in advancing positive social development by talking to and learning from grandmother changemakers. We hope this series inspires you, brings you joy, and helps you recognize the enduring magic and wisdom that comes from grandmothers everywhere. My name is Lindsay Farrell, and I'm your host. Today, I'm joined by Makeda Dread Cheatham. Makeda is a restaurateur, music promoter, radio show host, and founder and executive director of the nonprofit World Beat Cultural Center, a multicultural center located in San Diego, California's Balboa Park. She has won many awards over the years, including being inducted into San Diego County's Women's Hall of Fame in 2012 as a cultural bridge builder, and in 2020, she was recognized as a community hero and had a mural in San Diego dedicated in her honor. Welcome, Makeda. Welcome. Yes, I'm honored to be here and part of the wise women, you know, on this planet. So I was personally able to experience a foundational grounding in a vibrant arts community as a child and young adult. So I'm really excited to learn about your work. And I've been asking people to share stories of grandmother figures, but I thought since you've been so focused on the celebration of cultural diversity, that I might ask you a different question today, which is, can you share a ritual or tradition that is meaningful to you and why? Okay. I think that drumming is a heartbeat of our people, of all people. Every nation drums. I mean, in some way, you know, African drumming is so important to me because it's the heartbeat. And it was the way that we communicated as Africans. And the colonizers and imperialists took away the drum. And when I got to Babua Park, right here where I have my cultural center, everybody from the community used to come up and they drum. Well, they banded the drum again from Babua Park. So I brought the drum back to the park. So when we have any of our ceremonies, the drum opens up the ceremonies. It's the keeper of the people. So I thought I would just open this up with a little, this is a doom back. I left our djembe's in there because I was coming out and they said, what? You know, one of the kids said, what? Take the djembe. And I go, no, I got the doom back. It comes from the djembe, you know. Is it smaller drum? Yeah, it's a smaller, yeah. So I brought that. Okay, let's hear it. I usually play the djembe if I'm going to play, but it's really nice because I realized they have the same beat. As while I broke it, they have the same, you know, ta da da da. That's wonderful. And, you know, you got this award as a cultural bridge builder, and I love that you started with drum 
as this universal ritual or this universal tool that people everywhere have. What is a cultural bridge builder? What does that mean to you? To me, it unites all nations. It unites the world. I feel that that's what my job is here on this planet, is to build culture. And our culture is the home of all cultures, the African culture. So that's so important to build that bridge that was separated and divided and colonized. So it's a time to bring everyone back home to Africa, to the home that was a part of everybody, the home that everyone came from. And so having a cultural center is so important because a cultural center tells the truth. We're able not to get into critical race theories that they're using so many tactics right now to distort the true image of humanity, which is love, which is unity, cooperation, kujichagalia, self-determination, emoja, unity. That's why I do Kwanzaa here at the World BT Center. Nia, purpose, every day is Kwanzaa. Wonderful. Okay, so tell us more about the journey to the World Beat Center. How did you come up with this idea? I know it must have been a long journey. So do your best to tell us like as short of time as possible. Girl, you know, it was a long journey. Yes, I'm sure. I saw somewhere it was found in the 80s, right? But I've been around before the 80s. In 1971, I founded the first vegetarian restaurant in San Diego. That wasn't easy too. I was around with Ann Wigmore and Love Animals, Don't Eat Them, and that movement in the 60s, and also Panthers and Stokely Carmichael, so all those different things. But when I got into vegetarianism and then later on vegan, I felt that was a really a road to save the planet because you want planet change and everybody talks about the cars and all these other things but the cows are emitting you know gas you know also too when they went up in space and they looked down and they saw that it was cow lots that was emitting the gas you know so it's been a journey from that and i i feel that vegetarianism and veganism will help save the planet also i've always been with music because music is the weapon. So it wasn't easy for me, you know. I came to my city with reggae, reggae music. And when I went from being in all African people's revolutionary army, you know, it's with Kwame Ture, I started looking, listening to the music and these people with funny hair, you know. And then it was Bob Marley. And then it was talking about peace and love. And Wait, Makeda, where did you grow up? San Diego. Oh, you are... Born and bred and have never left. Never left. This is your never town. Left, but I travel. It's my town. So reggae showed up in San Diego and you were caught by it. Yeah, I brought it to San Diego. Oh, you brought it to I San brought Diego. I brought it to San okay. Diego. So <laughs> they were going, oh, man, before it was against apartheid music, apartheid movies. And then I put it in my music. I couldn't wait to play free. Nelson Mandela. In fact, I got to see him when he was freed. You went after independence was one? He came to L.A. And I got a diplomatic pass to go up. I don't know how I got to do it, but I was on radio. So I took radio and TV and telecommunications to make a difference because they weren't playing the music on the radio. 
they were very prejudiced and racist about reggae music because, you know, it was black revolutionary music. So I went back to school down the street from here because I went to school at San Diego High and then next to it was a city college. And I went back to school for telecommunications. And then I got on a big rock station and I was in there for 20 five years. And I never knew what day would be my last because I would have guests on that was really revolutionary. And these little white kids, little toeheads and blacks and everyone was listening to that show. I would play Malcolm X. I would play all kinds of stuff with reggae music. With my activist mentality, I got to act it out on radio. Did you ever get blocked? No. The last guy that was after me, he was really after me, and so he finally said, I'm going to block you off the air for a week. But I already had my own station, so I went on my station and outsmarted him. He really didn't like it. But I have my low-powered FM station that I'm running, which was very hard to get. But it was a journey, you know, because when I got in the park here, Bobo Park, I had these dominant culture, trusty old boys club. They did want me, and I'm the only woman, I'm a black woman, I have dreadlocks. For years, they made it hard. I mean, there was ways that we should have gotten farther. We had no bathrooms, no electricity, but we kept on teaching. We kept teaching the young through music, through drumming. We taught the deaf, we taught the blind, through drumming and dance and culture. Culture is the weapon. Music is the weapon, and it opens all hearts because music, has no color. Art has no color. And so we have to teach this. And while I'm on this planet, because, you know, I don't feel I'm from this planet anyway. I'm from the Star Series. The Dogoons discovered that a long time ago. But while you're here visiting. While I'm here visiting this planet, I want to do as much as I can. I'm guided by the ancestors also being a bodhisattva and taking the vow of being a bodhisattva. Just because some people might not know what that is, what is that? A bodhisattva is one who comes back over and over again to do what they can for humanity. Also, you know, Osiris, if you see him on his knees at the death's painting of Osiris, they're weighing a heart. They're weighing his heart on the scales. And what that means is, what have you given the world? And what joy have you given the world? And what joy has the world given you? Just two things. And that's what you're here to do is give joy and do the work of the ancestors. And we're learning, and I'll be learning for the rest of my life. So we just have to build an economy on kindness and compassion, all sensual beings, for the animals. That's why I don't eat animals. But that's up to every person. It's different because if you're living in Tibet or if you're living in Africa, there's certain foods, I'm sure the pygmies, you know, eating different kind of insects and stuff. So I don't want to disrupt someone's culture for eating meat. But I know that all cultures, they didn't eat that much meat. And even growing up, my parents from the South, we didn't eat that much meat. We ate beans and rice and fish on Fridays and chicken on Sundays. And it was your own chicken, and the vegetables were grown in your own garden. So that's what me, as a bridge builder, I'm here to help people eat and live longer, especially people of color that has been taken out of their own structure of living. And freeways are where we grew our food and where we communicated. 
and it's toxic. So, you know, I have a sanctuary garden here and people from the city could come and I grew everything. We grew all the trees, and moringa, so they can come and learn about their ancestors, the way they ate. But we cook so good that you want to be a vegan when you eat our gumbo and our collard greens. Are you introducing heirloom greens? Yeah, I work for Baker Creek, and we're having an heirloom festival out here. It's in Santa Rosa. But it's so important. If any of you should listen to Vedanta Shiva, and it's soil, not oil. So right now, I'm really into the soil, because regenerative agriculture. Dr. Shiva is incredible. She's Monsanto, now Bear's worst enemy, because Bear bought Monsanto. And those guys were around with Nazi inventing all that toxic bum material, Bear. So we got to just look what's going on in the world and boycott those people. You don't need all these luxuries that cause harm to the planet. So I'm a bridge builder on your way back home. Yeah, it's sort of like the bridges between culture, but the bridge is also to the past, to our roots or our foundation. You know, the logo for the Grandmother Collective is a tree because we see grandmothers and older women as both rooting us, but also so many of them, like yourself, are so concerned about the future that they're also about growth. So that's the symbol that we chose to really speak to that. And I think that's sort of what I'm hearing from you is that you're recognizing the disintegration, the eradication of cultural practices, knowledge, information, wisdom, and you're trying to be the one who brings that back and shares that knowledge. Well, we're following the paths of our ancestors. We have a bird, and it's a Sankofa bird, and it's going forward, and it's looking backwards. And what it means is you cannot know where you're going until you know where you came from. Wow. So, Makeda, I'd like to hear your perspective on the evolution of your thinking as you've aged. Let me back up a little. What I'm hearing from you is that there is this oath that you've taken, this pathway of your ancestors that you're following. Is this something that you've grown into as you've aged? What is that sort of pathway of aging for you? I'm very blessed because I'm still young for my age. My birthday is July 29th and I will be 81. No way! Yeah, man. That's what you get with a, a good vegetarian diet. A vegan diet. A vegan diet. Vegetarian is even good and then going into vegan because your health is your wealth. And this is the way you're supposed to get around with your meditation, your breath. But so you asked me this question. Well, I've been meditating for a long time. That helped. It really helped because I grew up in a very hard life. My parents are alcoholics and I kind of had to raise myself. My brother raised me for a while, but he left and went into the service at about 16. They kind of lied on his application, but he wanted to get out of the condition. But I was left there, you know. But what I've seen in my life and where I'm at now as an elder, I saw a sign at a march and <laughs> it said, I've been holding up this sign for so many years. I'll be glad when I don't have to hold it up. It was the same sign. I marched in the Vietnam War, and I thought we were getting better. I didn't think it was, could get any worse. But we're at the end of an age right now 
Pisces age and going into the age of Aquarius. Almost in there. And I'm glad I can look at this tip of what we're going through. Well, I won't say that. I'll think that I'll live to be 120 or something. But I'm seeing that they're holding on. It's supposed to because the Indians call it Kaliuga. Kaliuga. And I'm sure that the Dogun tribes, they're so wise. They know it's the end of an age. And so at the end of an era, it's going to be turmoil because the darkness is really trying to hold on because the light is coming through. So I feel more enlightened at this age and more wiser and less like, you pig. But you feel less angry? Yes, well, knowing that the revolution is within and, and know what revolution is. Revolution is change and things cannot remain the same. So as I love myself and as I go inwards, I'm looking at all the insecurities and all the hate and depressions and all the things within myself. We can change this by the way we react to things. The way we react. And I'm not going to bring myself down to nobody's level to hate them. Because that's what they did. That's what they did to us out of their ignorance. I'm going to love them. And I'm going to put out as much love as I can for the planet. As I love myself and as I forgive myself. And I know they know. I mean, those famous uh, saints that they follow. And he said, forgive them. Because they know not what they're doing. You know, when they're crucified, man, and they would crucify the cat if he came back. So they don't know what they're doing. It's so ignorant. I said, you have to just shake your head. But you got to remember, there's enough of us than them. There's enough of loving people, innocent, just good people, sharing people. And so we just have to, as grandmothers, as wise women, we have to take this and save our children. Because that's what they're doing. I just lost a nephew, and he was committed suicide at 11 year old. Been bullied in school, and then he went in, and his grandmother was a security officer. So he got in and got the key to get her gun. And then he said, they took the PlayStation away. So that did it. Because he wouldn't go to school, he was getting bullied, and they took the PlayStation away. Because that's all he did. All these kids were on too much electronics. And he said, I'm going to kill myself. Bye. And that was it. By the time they got there, he was still living, but he died in the ambulance. 11 years old. So we have to do things. So what I've been doing, and I had the first Harriet Tubman bird walk at Juneteenth. So Harriet Tubman was a naturalist. The enslaved Africans had to know what herbs to heal themselves, bird sounds, what traps, you know, that they had to get animals to eat, whatever. But one of the sounds of the enslaved Africans was the barred owl, and they used it. But see, my parents didn't know the scientific name or nothing for the owl. They just know it was a hoot owl. So that's what the sounds. And the barred owl is also during the daytime. That's one of the few owl sounds you could hear during the day. So the enslaved Africans would just... And so we had the Harriet Tubman bird watch. I tried to do things that educational with music. And I had the Kumeyaay Indian, which you always got to give respect for the keepers of this land. 
Is that local to San Diego? That's local, which is my good friends. I do all my sweat lodges and all that stuff. Because I know most of us enslaved Africans were enslaved with the Native American Indians. So that's why we have so much Indian blood in us. The Gullah Geechee later on got to be the Black Seminoles. I like it because you know this. I'm proud of you, man. I'm an anthropologist, and I've paid attention. That's what I would have been as an anthropologist, because that's what I do. I do research. You know, I focus on Africa as my region, and the university I went to also had quite a lot of scholars of the diaspora. And so we were really learning how African traditions traveled. So yeah, if I talk to Brazilians and they talk to me about candomblé, I'm like, yep. And they go, how do you know? I love it. I, I love it when I was in Brazil because of Condomblade. And it's really good that, like you said, these traditions that came to these Americas, the okra, okara, the okara in the food. That's why I had that festival, so I can introduce the music and the food. And we also have capoeira here. And so I've really looked at all the tradition. I'm an Oshun, and this place is Oshun. When you come in, you got to leg right at the door. So, you know, you keep those traditions and know those traditions. And also, I like the Native American traditions that are here. We have so many Native American Indian reservations. I think we have the most in California. And right now, it's the Kumeyaay. And there's three more tribes that are here. You know, I do the sweat lodges, even though the Kumeyaay, they don't sweat. And they do the dances, bird dances. And I've always went to sun dances and powwows. So I like culture. Well, it's a weapon, right? That's what you're saying. That's it. Music and art. So as we close out, I really want to understand the cultural center a little bit more. What does it look like? What does a day in the life at World Beat Cultural Center look like? And specifically, I think... What it sounds to me is that there's a lot of this wisdom being passed down, that it's multi-generational, multicultural. Can you tell me how that looks? I get to bring all my research and thoughts to the cultural center. And we teach drumming. We have Middle Eastern drumming and dance, not on Mondays. And then Tuesdays, we have Afrobeat dance and African dance. On Wednesdays, we have Samba drumming and samba dance, strong departments. Thursday, we have taiko, big old taiko drums. Oh, those big drums. Oh, I love them. Yeah. yeah. So we have taiko drumming. And Friday, we Cuban. And it just goes on. We have film festivals. We have reggae concerts, reggae shows. And then we have like Malcolm X Day. If I have a festival, it has a meaning. And then we have my dad, Marcus Garvey. They call me Mother Garvey because I studied him for a long time. And then we have really cool exhibits, you know, um, Afro-Mexico, because we're right next door to Mexico. So I start studying the slave trade. That's We have an exhibit, and it's Pathways to Freedom. And so just showing the true history of slavery in the Americas. So my day begins with truth. And that's through music, art, and dance. They can't take that away from us. That's the first thing they try to ban is the drum. And if we can show that we're all interconnected and all those instruments and dances from those countries, they came through Africa. But all the knowledge has been erased. So we're to bring it back and show that Mexicans helped 
escaped from slavery, the enslaved Africans, they came to Mexico because they couldn't go up north. So we try to show the Underground Railroad south, and that was into Mexico. And also, we try to show that the second president of Mexico was of African descent. And most people don't know that. And Mexicans, they freed the slaves in early 1800s before us, 50 years before us, in fact. So we try to show the Underground Railroad South, but then also the abolitionists, there were whites that helped us. And then I just found out the Amish, the Amish helped the enslaved Africans. I was like, that's cool. So that's what my day is like in the World Beat Cultural Center. You're trying to show the untold stories. That's it. The story that's never been told and not history, not his story, but our story. And to end it, that none of us are free until all of us are free. Well, Makeda, I could talk to you for a long time, but I don't have a long time. So appreciate you taking the time to share your perspective and teach us about what you're doing. Do you get a lot of tourists? Like, Who's coming to your center? Is it for everyone? If people are in San Diego, can they come visit? Of course. I'm in the park. I get everyone. And there's a lot of Black tourists. They come to San Diego. They can't see where there's culture. So they come through and just everybody, you know, they come through. And the Mexicans coming through and they're looking, what? Second president? So it's just anybody. And we invite everyone to come and check us out and be a part of the World Beat Cultural Center. Well, thank you so much. Asante. Asante sana. <laughs>